Welcome to my podcast, Midlife with Courage, where my goal is to inspire you, a woman who wants to step outside of her comfort zone and live an amazing life. I'm Kim Benoy. I'll share my experiences, stories, and interviews with other amazing women that are meant to help you take those first steps towards something fantastic. So let's not wait another minute to get started. My favorite part about doing podcasts is the connections that I make with the people that I interview. And today's guest is Deborah Fletcher. And sometimes you just connect a little bit more with certain people, and that's what happened with Deb. So you'll notice this episode is a little bit longer than the usual, but I truly hope that you will listen to it the whole thing and get a sense of Deb's humor and her story and how she handles everything that's happened to her and how she helps other people handle what happens to them as well. So please enjoy this episode and have a great week. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Midlife with Courage. I am Kim Benoit, your host, and I am so happy that you're here. Today, I have a wonderful guest. Her name is Deborah Fletcher. Deb, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, Deb is a fellow MOT, mother of twins. <laughs> so <laughs> you're in a great club. Deb is an adult educator, author, speaker, and mom of twin daughters. She also works as a realtor, which supports her obsession with snooping through other people's homes, <laughs> which I can relate to that. Um, as a busy mom and advocate for her daughter who lives with multiple disabilities, Deb found the time to jot down stories, lessons learned, and inadvertent observations, most of which found their way into finding your hay. In Deb's free time, she gardens, dances like everyone's watching, and chases the ice cream truck down the street. I love it. <laughs> so welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you, like I said. Um, so why don't you, let's just jump in, kind of tell us your story. When you found out you were pregnant, things totally changed for you. <laughs> they did. They did. I found out that I was having twins, which was a shock. I don't know if you were shocked by it. Oh yeah. I was, I always said I was glad I was laying down when they told me because it was during the ultrasound. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to use that line. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so it was a shock, but it was a happy shock. And so it was very exciting. And then during my pregnancy, they were doing ultrasounds at the medical clinic I was going to, and they said that there was something wrong. They discovered that there was a discrepancy in the baby's sizes and they're identical twins, so they should have been the same size. So what happens sometimes is um, the egg separates later than it should, and, and then they're, they're joined by blood vessels if it's a certain number of days. And if the egg separates, even later than mine did, um, then you have conjoined twins. So, right. So one of them was pushing blood to the other one. And what essentially happens is it's dangerous for the larger one because it's hard on their heart um, and they just, they just can't process. So 
they were monitoring me and and thought, you know, at any time they may have to deliver them early. And then things seemed to settle down. But unfortunately, one of them, her water broke. And um, and then I went into labor and had them at 30 weeks gestation. Mm, okay, early. Yeah. Yeah, a little early, but not too early, right? Yeah, that's not too bad. I mean, no, as a former labor and delivery really. nurse, that's not terrible for twins either. I didn't know you did that, Kim. I, I did. The 30 weeks is not terribly scary. And I had visited, you know, I had a friend who delivered at 25 or 26 weeks. So I had visited a NICU before and, mm. you know, everything was fine. So I wasn't even worried when I gave birth to, birth to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until... They were three and a half weeks old that uh, they do ultrasounds on preemie's brains mm-hmm. and sort of routine ultrasounds. And at three and a half weeks, they found that one of my daughters, Quinn, had um, some scarring on her brain, which was from the brain bleeding, mm. which usually denotes a lack of oxygen. And so there's no sort of diff- defined cause for it but the result it doesn't matter right the result was that they said you know this is in the area of motor development so she could have some challenges and so we were devastated and yet you know honestly didn't understand the scope of her disabilities at that time you know I just thought as I said in my book I just thought she would maybe walk with a limp or something you know Mm -hmm. I had no idea that she would be um, as extremely disabled as she is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what was that like to kind of come to terms with that? So that was a really, really tough blow. And I'm sure, I'm sure everyone can relate to that as a parent or as a human being, that, that sort of fear, disappointment, grief. Um, it was it was mostly born out of fear, I think, because we didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. We felt badly for her. We felt badly for her sister, for us. Of course, this kind of grief was was um, it was it was sort of ignorant in its in its in its uh, source. You know, we just um, we just assumed that this was a really super bad thing, and. Um, you know, 23 years later, we've come to understand that that it's uh, a very manageable piece of who she is. But at the time, you know, we were devastated and we chose not to tell anybody because we didn't really know the extent of the brain damage and the extent of her issues and disabilities. And we just couldn't, we couldn't deal with anyone else's grief. Uh, so, so it was a really interesting thing that we we were in a state for about six months of everyone just being joyful and happy and, oh, isn't this wonderful? You've got twins. And, and we were saying, yes, yes, it is. And then we had this underlying grief and it gave us sort of a cushion for us to process and us being um, their dad and, and me mm-hmm. um, for us to process and come to terms with essentially what it is is that your expectations have not been met. You know, that's where I think where a lot of our grief and disappointment comes from. Mm-hmm. And so you expect to have healthy babies. I think everybody does, unless they've been warned during the pregnancy. So that was uh, that was a shock. 
And so we did a lot of crying at first. And then we, we just gradually, I mean, as with any grief, we just, we just got used to it. <laughs> and, um, like I'm oversimplifying it. And then, you know, I called it the grief that keeps on giving because we, we had that initial blow and then we just kept getting more and more. So, you know, again, we still didn't, we hoped that her disabilities would be mild mm-hmm. um, because they were both babies. So they were both very similar, you know, they, neither of them could do anything, you know, <laughs> they're just lying there. <laughs> so when they were six months old, that's when we went for an assessment and we were told that she would be severely disabled. So any kind of hope that we had was completely gone. And, um, you know, the doctor at the time, he was really, he was really old and I think he was close to retirement. And I say that because I've never heard a a medical practitioner say anything as negative as he did. And I think, you know, maybe he was from a different time or something, Mm -hmm. Um, but he said, she will have a very poor quality of life. And so we were Mm -hmm. devastated by that statement. Mm-hmm. And then we went home and, and we just looked at each other and said, no, she won't. And so that became our mission. And, you know, that sort of gave us a purpose. And I think with some types of grief, one of the strategies that can help is having a purpose, you know? Mm. So whether it's, you know, a place to put your grief and your love, you know, friends of mine lost their, their really good friend to ALS a few years ago and they fundraised and they have a memorial plaque on a bench that overlooks the lake um, in Toronto where we live. And it's just, you know, it's a beautiful, I mean, it's a beautiful spot and it's a, a beautiful way to, to celebrate her life and remember her. So but that little act at that time gave them some, some respite, you know, from, from the grief that they felt. So that became our purpose. And I think that really helped us in the beginning. I bet I, I'm kind of one of those, like, oh, you, you think so I'm going to show you that you're wrong kind of thing. (laughs) So was it kind of that almost that way a little bit? Oh, yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. And we, yeah, so it's, it's so funny because we never saw him again. You know, he, I mean, partly because he was old and probably retired, but partly because that was his job was doing these assessments. And then from there, you know, we were, we were sent to a, um, a children's rehab clinic and, and we were looked after by sick kids um, here in Toronto, sick kids hospital. So so we, we wouldn't have seen him anyway, but sure. he was sort of our inspiration. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I don't know, you know, he doesn't know this, but, but he inspired us to just make her life as, as rich and full of, you know, fun and yeah. adventure. And yeah. And it's sure. Um, I read the book. Um, your book is called finding your hay. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but um, I just, I love the book. I, I have a couple of people I want to give it to. Um, so yeah, but I just love how, um, you know, we talk about twins, you know, we've got one who has disabilities and one who doesn't. So hitting those milestones, you know, that babies usually hit, you know, celebrating it, but yet knowing that your other child 
isn't going to like can you talk about that a little bit yes so that was um that was like another time when you know as i say this grief that keeps on giving because as i said when they were babies they were they were identical they were the same mm -hmm. and then slowly emma started learning to you know first she sat and then she she didn't really crawl so she just sort of scooted on her bum but you know we'll call it some sort of mobility yeah <laughs> she got around <laughs> she got around and then um she actually didn't walk until she because they were premature she walked i mean well after the the milestone of a year but i was okay with that i i wasn't you know i wasn't like other parents thinking oh let's encourage her to walk and i know that sounds a bit weird but um so when she finally took her first steps it was a very happy moment and a very very sad moment and so um you know she walked into my arms and i scooped her up and i was so happy and then and then the realization hit and i had to hand her to her dad run into the other room cry you know can you know sort of gather myself pick myself up dust myself off and then go back in and and you know continue the celebration yeah so i've had many moments like that and you know we didn't realize that when would never talk or eat solid food until she was probably about two years old so again that was another hit meanwhile emma's you know flapping since she was i don't even know she was she was talking before she was walking for sure. Um, so, so it was, it was that juxtaposition and, you know, we had to be careful too, that we didn't sort of, um, you know, allow ourselves to be sad as Emma is accomplishing all of these milestones, you know? So it was this weird sort of, uh, balance, but we, we were, you know, we were, I think part of it was we were both very aware of what was going on. We were aware of how we were feeling, how we were dealing with it, you know, what was happening. And so we were very conscious about, about all of that and eventually learned to, to anticipate milestones. So, you know, I, I knew that, that Emma was going to, you know, have her first sleepover at a friend's house and maybe Quinn couldn't go to that. And I, so I would anticipate those kinds of things in advance and I learned to prepare for them. Mm. So that's what really, that, that became a life lesson for me. And I mean, I use that not just with them, but I use that in all areas of my life, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, thinking things like, well, my parents are going to pass away someday. So you know, what's that going to be like and how can I prepare myself for it? Of course, you know, there's only so much you can do, but those kinds of things. And I think that, you know, if you really look at it, you can find those examples and, and use, use sort of, you know, they say that you can look at, well, I came through this period or I came through this event or, or situation and I survived it and I'm okay now. So you can sort of use, well, if I was able to survive that, I can survive X, you know, and you can sort of use what you did in those moments. And that's kind of what I've been practicing for the past almost 23 years, 23 yeah. years next month. Oh yeah, they got a birthday coming up. They do, um, they do. Yay. You are very self-aware and I love that you, and the way you put it in the book too, I can kind of see what your, that your process. Um, I like that 
when you talk about grief, you kind of, I think we've been taught that it's a process we go through and then there's steps and you get through this and then you're done and okay, you're through it, but that's not the case, is it? You're never done, you know, and, and that, you know, that model that the stages of grief, you know, denial and, and all of those that that was developed, um, for people that have learned that they're terminally ill. So it's, it was developed for a very specific type of grief. Hmm. And, um, and it was all about you and, and your denial about your own mortality. Um, I believe that's true. Here I am spouting it yeah. off. But in the it research sure that be. I've done. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so those stages don't apply. And, and, you know, you can look at two different people, a man that I know was, was widowed. And I know a woman that I know was widowed. So two friends, um, and, and their processes were completely different. Their timelines for recovery were completely different and that's okay. You know, it's, um, it is a very personal thing. And I think that we can't compare to someone else, um, as much as I try to talk about it and, and, you know, sort of give tips and it's not, it's not a sure thing. Like there's no sure fix. And as you said, you're never over it. You know, there is no other side, but what happens, the good news is that we, you know, as I said, we get used to it. Um, Mm -hmm. We learn to carry it, you know, we learn to carry it with us and it's always going to be there, but it's going to take up less space and it's going to be something that you can understand when it's happening and you say to yourself oh i'm grieving now this is really hard for me i know that this the the depth of this feeling won't last forever um and again it can be like a roller coaster so you could feel great one day and the next day you'll be hit with something else you know yeah and uh i i have found that with quinn i mean she's almost 23 Mm -hmm. and most days are filled with, with joy. And I'm just, you know, so excited at her, at her accomplishments. And then, you know, there will be times where there's maybe a medical issue or a setback or, or something will happen that just reminds me once again, you know, that, um, and, and, you know, you just sort of let the feelings, the sad feelings wash over you. And then at the end of that, if you can sort of recognize what just happened and recognize that it's a moment in time, you know, mm-hmm. and that we've got all of these happy moments, we've got all of these sad moments, and that's what, that's, you know, what makes up life. That's what life is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, you also talk about humor and gratitude and how that relates to um, dealing with grief and with anything really in life. Um, so, and this book is funny. You have these little, like when you were getting up, like I could tell that when you were writing about being an advocate for Quinn in her classroom and because, oh, I gotta go, I have to go calm down and <laughs> come back. And so just using humor in your book too, but using humor in everyday life, um, can you give us some examples of that? Because I love how you talked about that as well. Well, I was, I was born to a funny father. And, um, and so honestly, humor has been part of my life for my whole life. And I, I didn't know that 
I mean, I didn't know that it was in, in terms of me. I knew that I had a funny dad and I knew that, you know, I had a good sense of humor and I, and I enjoyed comedy and so on. I didn't really understand, first of all, that I was funny and I didn't understand how it would benefit me until probably my 20s. And, and I, I remember that um, I really learned that if something bad happened, something negative, whether it was something embarrassing or something sad, that if I phoned a friend and told them about it, I could turn it into a funny story. Mm. And so I've been doing that since then. And I probably started doing it in my teens, actually. So I've been doing it for, you know, 20 years. Just uh -huh. joking. <laughs> I would have just not even said a word. I... <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it for decades. <laughs> um, and so that's, you know, and what's really interesting is that it works for anything. And I, I mean, I, today's Friday, what was it? Wednesday? I, no, Tuesday, I had a really, really, really bad day. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, there were sort of three things that happened throughout the day. It's a very long story and it wouldn't be all, all that interesting. And that night I called a friend and I, I was, you know, venting about my day and we ended up laughing so hard because, you know, you turn it into something like that. Not that it made it all go away, mm -hmm. but it just sort of, it helps, you know, and I've taught that not intentionally uh, entirely, but I've taught that to my children as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've even taught it to Quinn. So Quinn is, you know, she's nonverbal, she's in a wheelchair, she's, um, she's incontinent, um, she eats only through a G-tube in her stomach. I mean, when we're talking, I mean, she's as severely disabled as you can get. Sure. She's also a very happy girl. Um, she loves to have fun and loves to laugh and she understands what's going on around her and she communicates actually through a, uh, an augmentative communication device. Oh, cool. Um, and so last January, so a year ago, January, I was bringing her out of my house and I back up and I have to go down a step pulling the wheelchair and I, and I somehow tripped. And I ended up flying backwards down another step and throwing her over my head and into my garden where I don't even know how she survived. There was a stone retaining wall. Oh and no. Was this giant bush. And she somehow landed miraculously in the, in the middle of it. <laughs> she was terrified. So oh. I, I, I just kept saying, you're okay. You're okay. And I had to drag her out of, her wheelchair into the garden, get the wheelchair out. Anyway, as I was doing this and I was in shock and I was injured too, but as I was doing this, I just kept saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then I got her into my minivan because we were actually on our way to a medical appointment. Mm -hmm. I got her into the accessible van and I immediately called her dad and then her sister and told the story as if it was a funny story. Oh. and and I was in shock and I knew I was in shock I was still shaking and so even now like I'll refer to it um because my I had a, a problem with my shoulder because of it but it's all better and I and so I said to Gwen you know remember that time I threw you into the garden 
And she kind of laughs, but it was a terrifying fall. <laughs> so, so I just, so, you know, not that you can make light of everything. I understand mm -hmm. that, but I use humor to, to reframe the way I look at situations and circumstances in my life. And, yeah. uh, and it's, it has helped. Yeah. It's and almost like you're just reprogramming or rewiring your brain. You are. That's exactly what you're doing. And in terms of mindset, that's what you're doing, right? You're reframing, you're using different words. And it's not, you know, that I'm in denial. Like it, it's, and it may sound like that. I do understand what I'm doing, but, yeah. but it, it does work. And, sure. you know, I use all my other tactics, like, you know, you know, music and humor and um, appreciation. And, it, and so that day on Tuesday, just that just passed, I had something happened in the morning and I, and I used music, like mm -hmm. upbeat, happy music and, you know, breathing and mindfulness. And then I had something happen at the end of the day, which was just absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, that's, that's, I had to turn it into a funny story to tell my friend. The first story isn't all that funny, but the second story I could turn into a funny story. And then after that, at the end of the day, I was pruning a uh, forsythia in my front yard and I was standing on a ledge about this wide, a retaining wall, and I lost my balance and stepped back and there was nothing there. And I oh. don't know how, how I survived. <laughs> and so that was, I mean, that it was the most ridiculous day, honestly, yeah. that I've had in yeah. a long time. But <laughs> I was able, so I was able to look at that and sort of turn that, first of all, into a funny story, but also you know, just, I'm just so grateful that I didn't injure myself. So, right, right. um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you need to stay away from that garden. <laughs> I know, I know. I need someone to spot me. Yeah. I need right. to help so it's just, you know, so I just, I mean, it's just so funny that that happened Tuesday because all of those tactics I talk about in the book, I use them all the time, you know, not mm -hmm. just with the big grief, but I use them you know, I said to my girlfriend when I called her that night and was relaying the whole day, um, she's actually one of the um, stories in my book. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And um, she said, you know, um, she goes, you know what to do. And I said, I know what to do, you know, to, to just to get <laughs> through it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because one was a one was career focused and it was a big, 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 big disappointment. And the other one was personal. And then it was the falling off the <laughs> falling off the ledge, literally. <laughs> anyway, it just, oh. you know, so all of those things, so humor. And then, so that, I mean, literally on Tuesday, I used humor. I used gratitude. I used music. Um, oh, and then after I talked to my girlfriend, I watched a funny movie and that was intentional. Uh. Like I, I said, okay, what's the funniest thing I can watch on, on, you know, um, whatever streaming. And I, and I watched an hour of something very, very funny and it made nice. me laugh. So I used all of, you know, um, I used a lot of my tactics. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's not good. They had to go through bad stuff, but it's awesome. They know how to deal with it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you know, my big one is just don't look right. Yeah. 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 I so love that, that. Yeah. And that, I mean, that came out of honestly out of thin air and mm -hmm. um we have time for me to tell that story yeah for sure I would like you yeah. to yeah yeah so 
when I was, when the girls were young and um, I was still in those, you know, early years and early stages of grief, shall we say. And when I would come across um, a set of twins that were perfectly healthy, I found it absolutely devastating. And uh, first of all, I avoided it at all costs. But if I was walking down the street, I, w- I live in a sort of busy neighborhood, lots of families. And, and if I was walking down the street and I saw a double stroller approaching, I would always have to look. Uh, and so sometimes, most of the time, it was just siblings, you know, in a double stroller, like a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And sometimes it was twins. And I would honestly it was like I would position this imaginary knife at my heart. And then if it was girl twins, I'd push in it a bit. If it was identical twin girls, then I just push that knife right Aww. in and just, and just let that pain in. And, you know, I liken it to the fact that we do this to ourselves. You know, we, we, we poke a sore tooth with our tongue and we, we do tend to re-examine things that are painful to us. We'll play them over and over again in our minds, right? Mm -hmm. Because we just do that to ourselves. So there was one day was walking down the street. They were about three, they're in a double stroller and a stroller was approaching. And this voice in my head said, just don't look. Mm -hmm. And I listened to the voice and uh, it was my voice, but um, it wasn't that weird, but I I (laughs) did not look in that stroller. And as it passed me, I realized, you know, there could have been twins in there. There could have been, you know, just siblings or, or even, you know, kids that weren't even related and it just didn't matter. And so there was no pain. You know, I didn't have to hold up the knife, stab myself. There was no pain. There was no feeling of any kind. And I, I just realized that I have that decision is mine to make. I have that choice, right? I don't have to look in that double stroller right so that is a huge revelation again that i use all the time it's about shifting your focus right Mm -hmm. and it's not about avoiding or you know again being in denial it's just about shifting your focus and deciding what to focus on yeah which i have found really really useful again in all areas of my of my life right yeah i love that and when i was reading it i didn't think oh it's denial i just I thought, oh, she's just kind of, yep, it's there, but I'm not even going to be drawn into it. So I love that you kind of taught Emma that too, because you said that she'd be looking for people to look at Quinn because she was different. And she was, I know twins are very um, competitive and very protective of each other. And I can, I'm sure that Emma is that way towards Quinn. And I kind of saw that, but I love that you kind of taught her that too. Like, just don't even look at them. Yeah. Yeah. So she, that's right. And she, and it wasn't until she was like eight or nine that she suddenly realized, oh, my sister's not like every other sister, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) It took her a long time to figure out. And, um, and then she started noticing that people stared at her and, and then, oh, you should like, honestly, the looks she would give them. Oh my goodness. I I, I don't know what she looks like, but I can imagine it. (laughs) Oh, it would. Yeah. If looks could kill. Right. So you know, it was as much for her that I, that I told her about the fact that she had a choice as, as much yeah. for the other people on the receiving end of her. <laughs> the daggers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And, you know, yeah. I think it's, um, 
you know, it's all about that, that self-awareness and just that awareness of the fact that we can control our, our emotions. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely. Yeah. We control how we react to things. That's right. Yeah. Um, so tell me about, let's talk about the title of your book called finding your Hey, what does that mean? And if the listeners are listening, they haven't seen the show notes, it's H E Y. So finding H-E-Y. your Hey. Yeah. yeah not H A Y. Finding your Hey. <laughs> your bales of hay with your horses and everybody (laughs) sorry just went off on that (laughs) I never thought of it that way Um, so um so my dad was my hero and um you know just I mean he was because he was so funny and he was a great dad he was a great great man and um so we all adored him and when I was 21 and he was 46 he had a heart attack and and um and nine days later had a stroke Mm. and so he survived um but the area of his brain that was affected by the stroke was his mental processing so he lost his speech completely Mm -hmm. um and then he was in speech therapy for two years and and got it back mostly but but was never the same Mm-hmm. And he, and his mental processing, like he lost his memory and his ability to really um, think the way he used to. So he had to, he lost his career. He couldn't work again. And that was a young age. I mean, it was very young age. A- actually, when I was 21, I thought, oh, well, he's had a good life. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really get that part of it. No. Um, so we were, I mean, it was devastating. My brother was 16. My sister would have been um, 19 and I was 21. And so we were, we were devastated. He was really young. Sure. And, um, and so he, he actually had the heart attack, um, a week before my, my wedding, my first wedding, I've been married more than once. Um, and then, um, I don't know, at 21 and, um, work sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, uh, marrying, yeah. Marrying that first boyfriend, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Sometimes it works. And sometimes, sometimes it, it works. Yeah. Sometimes it yeah. doesn't. Anyway, yeah. that's okay. I thought it was a good idea at the time. Um, <laughs> and so, so he actually had the heart attack a week before my wedding and didn't make it to my wedding. Um, and then I left for my honeymoon and he had the stroke while I was on my honeymoon. So And back then, like a hundred years ago was when this was, there was no, you know, there was no connecting when you were on your honeymoon. There was no, you know, so I didn't find out until we got home and it was devastating. I went over to my mom and dad's and we called the hospital room and I couldn't understand anything he was saying on the phone. And I was just sobbing and, and, but not wanting him to hear me. And then, so the next morning I went to the hospital to visit him. Mm-hmm. And so I, I mean, he knew what I would have been feeling. Right. And, mm-hmm. and he's my dad. So, um, as I was walking down the hall towards his room, I don't know how he knew I was coming. I don't know if he had the nurses alert, you know, him or what do, I, I don't know to this day. Um, but I'm walking down the hall towards his room and all of a sudden he leaps out of the, out of his room, like jumps out into the middle of the hall and just goes, hey, like that. Oh my gosh. I know. And I, it was just, I mean, 
it was so memorable. And then for the rest of our visit, I didn't understand another word he said. That was the mm -hmm. only word, first mm -hmm. of all. Mm -hmm. And I know what he was doing. He was saying, it's going to be okay. You know, like, I'm going to be okay. It's all okay. You know, let's yeah. just be happy. But it also, you know, I think he, it, for me, it was a symbol of how he responded to his own grief over his, his, you know, now disability. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that became sort of, you know, he was my poster child after that, you know, for dealing with grief. I mean, he, he went on to, um, he lived to be 82 years old and he mm -hmm. lived a full rich um, life with, you know, friends and family and lots of love. And he was able to physically do things um, because of the way the stroke affected his brain. Obviously he was physically fine. He jumped out of his room. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he was able to golf and, and, you know, do things that, that he enjoyed for the rest of his life. He was just never able to, to work. Um, and he would have felt really isolated, you know, cause all of his friends were still going to the office every day and working and oh, sure. he really missed out on that. And he really, he had a great career and he just was never, never able to, to do that again, but he got up every day and, you know, showered and shaved and got dressed and, you know, was productive and, and, um, and happy. And, you know, he was, he was still my dad. So, so that, you know, when, um, much later in life, when I married again, and then I had my girls, I thought I've got to find my hay. I've got to find it in me to, to have that attitude because for him, it was a choice, you know, mm -hmm. I know it was a choice. He could choose to, to just um, embrace life and, you know, absorb this grief that would have been within him and carry on. And because again, you don't get over grief, but you just carry it with you and you move forward. You know, you don't move on from it. Um, you, you just move forward. And so that was my, my, um, realization when they were young and so I have found my hay so it's my purpose it's you know I find the humor I find the gratitude I find the funny I find the 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 stories within my life and I I really choose to live each day with with a positive attitude and um and so it helps me preemptively with things you know that do happen that that are sure. difficult or sad. Or... Yeah, I love that. That is a beautiful message. And I love that he was able to share that with you and you're sharing it with the world, basically. So yeah, yeah. Awesome. So Deb, where can people get your book if they would like to check it out? Oh, it's available on Amazon. Okay. Um, I've, I've got a stack of them in my dining room as well. Um, <laughs> okay. But you know, unless you're unless you're in Toronto, you're probably not going to come to my dining room. So it is available. <laughs> It's available on, on Amazon. Makes it easy. Yeah, yeah. And you have a website as well. Do you want to tell yes, us what that is so people can yep. hear so that? It's, it's actually my maiden name, DebraCovell.com. Okay. All right. We will put that in the um, show notes for people. And Deb, thank you so much for sharing your story. I feel like we could just keep talking all day, but, you know, <laughs> we, we can't. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And I hope that we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Kim. 
You've been listening to Midlife with Courage, and I hope that you've been inspired and motivated to live your amazing life. I'm Kim Benoit, and I want you to live every moment. For more inspiration and motivation, check out my website, www.midlifewithcourage.com. You can read more about my story and find links to more great information. Take care of your beautiful self, and I'll talk to you soon.